Assalamu alaikum, this is Maliha Mahmoud. Welcome to Muslim Health Talk, a place to discuss natural ways of healing and health and wellness and finding that balance that the Prophet wasallam so beautifully um, provided for us. Assalamu alaikum, this is Sierra Mondays, May 29th. Um, let's start with the dua, inshallah. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajim. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Subhanaka la ilmanana illa ma alamtana innaka anta samiyan alim. Subhanaka fahmalana illa fahamtana innaka anta jawad al-kareem. Rabbi yassir wa la tuassir wa tamim bil-khayr wa bi'ki ya maulana nasta'in. Ya fatah al-qulub, ya fatah al-qulub, ya fatah al-qulub. Rabbi shakhri sadri wa yassir li amni wa akhlul uqdatan min lisani yafqaw qawli. Rabbi nazidna ilma, Rabbi nazidna ilma, Rabbi nazidna ilma. اللهم افتح علينا حكمتك وانشر علينا رحمتك يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حمد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حمد مجيد اللهم فقهنا في الدين ولمن التوين آمين ثم آمين so, Bismillah, we're going to start as usual, insha'Allah, um, trying to memorize this lineage of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Bismillah. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, bin Abdullah, bin Abdul Muttalib, bin Hashim, bin Abdi Manaf, bin Qusay, bin, ha uh, bin uh, Hakim or Kilab, bin Murrah, bin Ka'ab, bin Lu'ay, Bin Ghalibi, Bin Fihri, Bin Maliki, Bin Nadri, Bin Kinana, Bin Khuzayma, Bin Mudrika, Bin Ilyasa, Bin Mudr, Bin Nizar, Bin Ma'ad, Bin Adnan. So when we're doing this in the beginning, um, I had sent out a copy of the du'as that I say in the beginning of, uh, of the talk, and I also had sent out a copy of the lineage of the Prophet So if anyone um, doesn't have it, please let me know. Inshallah, I can um, put it on the WhatsApp group again. This is something that we were talking about last time. So just to recap of what we did last week for those who were not here. So we spoke about the lineage of the Prophet and how important it is for us to try to memorize it, right? Um, because of all the important responsibilities that the people who are in the lineage of the Prophet Sallallahu which goes all the way back to Adam Alayhi of course, but the ones that we do is 22 and it goes back to Adnan. And from Adnan, we can trace the lineage all the way to Adam Alayhi but as well, during um, somewhere around there where we can we can trace it back all the way to Ibrahim alayhi from Adnan. And from Ibrahim alayhi we know that the three pro uh, prophetic traditions come from Ibrahim alayhi And we realize how we are connected with other prophets for of Christianity and, and uh, Judaism, even though we know that that's what it stands for right now real literally and and realistically they are all muslim they have all brought the message of tawhid so last time the first thing we spoke about is the lineage of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and i mentioned how 
it's really easy to do it like once every Friday, recite it, or Mondays, because that's when the Prophet was born. And that's the reason why we um, I labeled this talk as Monday Sira Mondays, right? There's a lot of other amazing things that happen on Monday, inshallah. And one of the reasons why we also fast the um, voluntary fast on Mondays and Thursdays. We also spoke about Ibrahim alayhi salam and his wife Hajar and their baby Ismail alayhi salam and the immense sacrifice that Hajar alayhi salam and Ibrahim alayhi salam went through, right? Um, and, and the sacrifice that they had gone through, it allowed us, his entire ummah, the rest of the world to be blessed with the water of Zamzam, the, the Kaaba. And the water of Zamzam, for now we know, has healing properties, right? And then also we are blessed with the sacred house, the Kaaba. We also spoke about um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the fact that he wills that there is a caretaker, a custodian of the Kaaba and of Zamzam, and how this this responsibility, this beautiful, this blessed responsibility, but yet really heavy responsibility, continues down the lineage of the blessed Prophet wasalam, right? Um, and it starts with Ibrahim salam, and it continues, goes on all the way down um, to the Prophet wasalam, of course, but um, his uncle Abbas, right? And during the time of Ibrahim salam, we realized that the Zamzam water was buried. The well of Zamzam was buried and it was lost for, for a while. So when Ibrahim salam, is the caretaker of the Kaaba, he realizes from, from the dreams that he has, he, you know, he is this um, very strong individual, very uh, beautiful individual, and he, he loves the Kaaba. He loves being responsible of and taking care of the hujjaj, the people that come to visit say, his sacred house. And if the responsibility of the custodian is someone who feeds, someone who gives water, someone who gives shelter to the people who come to visit the Kaaba. And he sleeps one night, right, in front of the Kaaba, and he has a dream. And this, he has this dream many times. And in these, this dream, um, the angel comes to him and gives him a message. And that message we know as Ilham, which is... And uh, uh, an instruction, a divine instruction to a pious individual. And in this dream, he is told where to dig and what to dig for. And we know that Abdul Muttalib was a Hunafa, which comes the, from the word Hanafi, having belief in one God, right? In one God. And um, this being Tawheed. And we also spoke about the Zamzam water and its healing properties. So whatever intention you have, you drink the Zamzam water for, it will serve its purpose. It will heal that difficulty. And we learn about the etquits of drinking Zamzam water, unlike when we are told to drink regular water sitting down, we one, we are asked to stand up and face the Kaaba while we're drinking Zamzam, 
we say Bismillah. Number three, we say we take three breaths in between. Number four, we drink some some water to our full. We don't just drink a little bit. And we drink with conviction, with belief that, yes, inshallah, this is a healing for anything that I intend to heal or um, make dua for to heal. Not just health issues, but whatever purpose I need, whatever need I have from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then we say alhamdulillah when we give thanks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this blessed water. Then we spoke a little bit about Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of the Prophet and the time that he was, uh, the Kaaba was being attacked by the Abyssinian conqueror named Abraha and his 60,000 soldiers and 12 companions of elephant. And in the Quran, this is known as the companions of the elephant. All right, inshallah, bismillah rahman rahim So today we will discuss, uh, continue from last week. So we were talking about Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we, before we talk about him, we, we kind of need to give you an idea of what's, why, why is Abraha, the Abyssinian conqueror, wanting to destroy the Kaaba, right? Wanting to attack the Kaaba. What is his, what is his reason? What is his motive? What has pushed him to do this? So Abraha is a, um, in Yemen, there are, there was originally idol worshiping and, um, they had uh, a, a lot of turbulence uh, and then Christianity came from Africa, from Abyssinia. And it had a huge influence and many people became Christian. And then there was um, a Jewish takeover overtaking and the majority of the Christians were perse persecuted. An Abyssinian king was very offended by this. He didn't want um, a, this to happen to his his followers, his people, and he sent help to free the people from tyranny and oppression. And once he was in power, and he 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 gave it, he gave this land back to the Christians, and was re, uh, you know, the Christians of Yemen. And the king didn't want Yemen itself. He um, he didn't want to to govern the place. He wanted, um, he was a strategist. He was a political military strategist. And he wanted to, um, so he killed the, the person who was in charge and he took over Yemen to rule it. There was a flood in Yemen. And then it left the entire region without any business, without any um, interaction, without any uh, any good economy, right? And most of this business and economy went towards Mecca. And so in, in Mecca, Mecca was a metropolis, a metropolitan, and everything was coming into Mecca. And when you think of Mecca, it's just the Kaaba. It's just this four plane brick-walled, sacred home. There's nothing uh, extraordinary and uh, extravagant about it. 
But people come and go. They make, they bring economy and wealth into the area, and it's thriving. So everyone ends up meeting here. Everyone trades what they need to trade, and they become wealthy. And so this king Abraha is kind of jealous. He want, he's like, I want that wealth, that hustle and bustle, that trade, that money, that economy to come back to where I live. And so his mission is to destroy the Kaaba some way, any way, or at least revert the people, divert them and bring them back to where he is. And what he does is his plan is to build a beautiful cathedral, one that is filled with jewels and um, all kinds of things. Like compared to the Kaaba, it is extraordinary. Um, and he puts a lot of money into it. And it's humongous to get the attraction of the people to come to visit his land instead of going to Mecca to get to the Kaaba. And when he does this, he also declares that his reason of doing it. He tells people like, I want everyone to visit the cathedral. I do not want them to go to the Kaaba. And so somebody finds out, people hear about it because it's, it's something that is told in public and they get very upset, at least the people in Mecca. Um, and you have to understand that the people in Mecca, living in Mecca, are not highly educated. They are not, they do memorize things, but they are not highly educated. And there's a man who decides he's going to do something ridiculous. He's going to go to the cathedral and he's going to defecate. He's going to use it as his bathroom. And he does this. And when he does this, uh, some say that he even takes the filth and he smudges it on the walls. This is a really horrible statement to make, especially knowing that you came from the land where the Kaaba is, where Mecca is. And it's, of course, something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us it's horrible. You shouldn't be doing this, right? You shouldn't. Uh, you shouldn't. Like Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has commanded us not to curse, not to slander their gods, no matter what it is. Whether it's someone who's who's a Sikh, whether it's someone who is um, idolizing uh, statues, whether it it sounds really silly, whether you know whatever it is. To not slander their gods because then they will curse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of retaliation without understanding. So this man does that. He disrespects someone else's religion. He disrespects a whole group of people's house of worship their sacred place. He could have disagreed with what they were doing. He didn't have to disrespect them. And this makes Abraha kill hundreds and thousands of people just because of this one act that this man does. And this is why it is so important as Muslims that we live today, that we do not, even in the smallest term, do this to people around us, right? We do not um, 
make fun, even though we might think that the religion of someone is so silly, so ridiculous. How, why would you think? It could be anything, you know. It could be like, well, how could you think that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has a has a son? You don't want to scrutinize someone. You don't want to make fun. You don't want to. Um, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala guides those, opens our eyes. We are blessed with that opening. We are blessed with that understanding. It's not something that we deserve. It's something that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala has given us mercy to see. Um, and so this man goes and he defecates in that cathedral. And when Abraha finds out, he decides, that's it. I'm going to go and I'm going to destroy the Kaaba. So he takes 60,000 soldiers and 12 elephants and he marches towards the Kaaba. And along the way, he comes across many different villages and lands and groups of people. And he is a very strong 60,000 people, 60,000 soldiers with armor and weapon and everything. And 12 elephants, huge. These are not just elephants. These are like big, um, you know, fighting machines, tanks. No, many people in the world have never seen such a thing as an elephant. And an elephant has such power, such strength, that if they step on something, it gets crushed. And he knows that, right? So he marches down, and while he goes through, through the lands, he pillages, he kills, he destroys whatever comes in his way. Some groups of people are, are smart enough or realize his power, and they just give up. And they kind of show him the way and say, that is the way to the Kaaba. That is where the owner of the Kaaba is. Head this way, right? Because they don't want to be harmed. They don't want to be hurt. They sell out, but for, for, for reasons, for right reasons, right? So along the way, he kills over 100,000 or maybe more individuals, innocent people. And when he reaches uh, Mecca, a Kaaba, he hears about Abdul Muttalib. He hears about what an amazing individual he is. And on his way, he, whenever he pillages and he destroys a land and people, he takes a hundred camels. And these hundred camels belong to Abdul Muttalib. And so when, when he meets Abdul Muttalib, even though this man, Abraha, is a very strong man and he's like vicious and he wants to destroy, he sees probably the nur of the Prophet ﷺ in Abdul Muttalib's face, in his, in his forehead. Because we are told that the nur, the light of the blessed Prophet ﷺ was created even before anything else was created. And this nur passes down all the way to the Prophet father on his forehead, like it's this light, this, this beauty. And then it goes down to his mother, Amina radiallahu anha, and it's on her forehead. And, and when she gives birth and she becomes uh, with child, it goes to the one that it really belongs to, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa And that is why we are told that 
when the Sahabas would look at the Prophet sallallahu they could not stare straight in his face sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He had such a light, such a I don't know if I can say glow, but such a awe, such a a beauty, such an uh, presence, right? And so, he, even in his grandfather, people would see the same thing. And usually, Abraha would come to someone and he would demand certain things. But when he saw the Abdul Muttalib, he was in awe. He sat down. He asked him to sit with him. Like things he did things that he would never do with anyone. He's a ruler, right? He has power, but yet he sees Abdul Muttalib and he is like sits down and he's on his level and it's like amazing, you know, cuz and this proves to us that when Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala gives status, gives importance to a human being, whoever it is, one first and foremost of course the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam the people around him can't deny it it's not something you can um gain with money it's not something you can gain with um because you want it allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives it to a person because of their station with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their purity, their want, their intention to do good. So he goes to uh, Abdul Muttalib and he demand, demands, he says, you know, I'm here to destroy the Kaaba. Just stay out of my way or give me the Kaaba if you, if you are a smart man, right? Or, or defend your home if you're such an amazing person that everyone keeps saying. And Abdul Muttalib looks at him and with conviction and with belief, he says, he says, I want from you my hundred camels that you stole from me. And Abraha is taken aback. You know, he's kind of like flips. He's like, what are you talking about? I came here to tell you that I'm going to destroy your sacred house, that I'm going to destroy the Kaaba, that you are a custodian of, and yet you are asking me for your hundred camels? That's all you're worried about? And he's like, all of a sudden, I don't have the respect that I had when I first saw you. Like, oh my gosh, you're not the amazing man I assumed you were. And you have to listen to this. Like, Abdul Muttalib looks at him and says, I am the owner of the hundred camels. This sacred house has an owner. And he will take care of it. Now, who is he talking about? He's talking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And at this moment, Abraha just laughs and thinks, oh, you are nothing. I thought you were something amazing, but you've just proven to me that you are nothing. And my job is so easy because you are not even fighting for something that I want to destroy. You are just allowing me to pass by. You are giving me free way this is going to be easy, right? At least that's what he thinks it is. And with, with his 60,000 soldiers and elephants, he really believes it is easy, especially when he has destroyed every village, every group of people along the way towards the Kaaba. 
So most of us know the story, right? The 60,000 men or the elephant try to destroy the Kaaba. And you would think with all that armor and everything, a four-walled brick is very simply built, should be destroyed very easily. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the caretaker. This house, no matter how simple it is, is a sacred home. And Allah has promised to take care of it till the end of time, right? And when Abraha pushes his elephants to go and destroy it, there is one particular elephant named Mahmoud. He doesn't budge. He doesn't, every time the elephant um, trainer says, move, he stops on his track. He turns back around. And they puncture this elephant. They harm this elephant to do what they have asked to do. You know, like if when you go to a circus or anywhere and um, you see that trained animals are, are hit, are, are, are pushed in order to actually do an act. And this is what they do. And it's horrible. It's, it's really horrible to see. But they, this, this is what they do to the elephants. They, they put swords in him and they, they, whatever they need to do, go walk that way towards the Kaaba, destroy it. And we know that all the cre- creation, all the creatures of the world obey the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this elephant does not budge no matter how much in pain he is, no matter how much he's bleeding, because his owner is not the trainer. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down pebbles from the mouth of small birds, small little pebbles, maybe like the size of chickpeas. He sends them down. He, it rains on top of these 60,000 soldiers. And it's not just something simple. Like sometimes when I describe it to my students, I would say, imagine you're on top of the Empire State Building or a very, very tall building and you throw something down, something heavy, maybe a coin, whatever. Because of gravity, it pulls it down so much that it will harm the person that's below. Now imagine if there is hundreds and thousands falling down, right? And it, they are falling down in a, in a way where it's kind of like going very fast and shooting. So this, these pebbles from the mouths of the birds pierce the soldiers. They don't die right away. It's not like a bullet. It's more like something. Some of them do actually. Some of them do die right away. But most of them are, are described as mash corn. You know, it's a scary. It's a. It's a very. Um, you know, it, that's how they're described. So many of them die automatically or right away or in Mecca. And many of them die along the way because they've journeyed far from Yemen. But Abraha himself goes all the way home 
in pain, injured. And he dies in Yemen. He, he tells the story. Everyone knows what's happened. Then he dies. I mean, that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed. That the message would go back and people would know what had happened. So I want to step back just a little bit. And this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, protects his sacred house. Now, when Abraha comes and he wants to destroy the Kaaba, Abdul Muttalib tells him, you know, this, this Kaaba, the sacred home, has a owner and he will take care of it. Abdul Muttalib goes back and he makes dua. He, he prays to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He asks for help. Um, he believes, of course he's frightened. Of course he doesn't want anything to happen to, to, to the Kaaba. But he knows that he does not have the manpower to stop, stop 60,000 soldiers and many, many elephants and animals. And so he speaks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He believes um, in the power of dua. And then he tells everyone in the land to leave, to get out, to go to safety. And this moment where Abdul Muttalib is making dua, and he is, like I said, a hunafa, he's a believer of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want to talk about um, a hadith, right? Something that the Prophet ﷺ told us because dua, um, prayer is so important, even today in our life, and the belief that it helps. You know, we live in a world where we're like, I do X, Y, and Z, and I get A, B, C, you know, whatever. Um, and that's wonderful. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the power, the ability to do certain things, of course we should. And of course, that's the first thing we should do when we have issues, when we have problems. We should make an effort to tie our camels, to do what we can. But then we should also make dua, right? We should also sit and talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We should also have conviction that asking for help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also something that is needed on a regular basis on everything. And so there's a hadith, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Qawla Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Supplication is the essence of worship. Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ad-du'a mukhul ibadati Supplication is the essence of worship So supplication or making du'a and prayer Has been called the essence of worship For two main reasons First of all By supplicating to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala A person fulfills his obligation of calling on Allah On his Lord which is understood from the verse in the Quran and you and your Lord says call on me I will answer you your prayer Quran forty sixty. this is a worship in its purest form number two 
by invoking Allah, by calling Allah, by praying to Him, by speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a person realizes that only Allah can fulfill one's need. The servant who calls upon his Lord abandons all hope in everything else and turns his full attention to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, humbling herself, himself, in front of his Lord, her Lord, right? This is the essence, the, 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 uh, the real reality of worship, right? This is the, the, the reason that when, when we say we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another desired result of worshiping is to attain reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because there is such a great reward in supplication. It has been called the essence of worship. So du'a is, is, is very broad, right? Supplicating, making a prayer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very, very broad. When we make du'a, it is more accepted in certain times than other times. So first, for example, when we make du'a, when we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the last third of the night, right? I think we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. This is the time of tahajjud. And the last third of the night, if we split the night where we're sleeping into three parts, the last third doesn't really have to be like 4 a.m. or 5, 3 a.m. or 2 a.m. It could be literally 15 minutes before fajr. And when we get up uh, 15 minutes before fajr, uh, we we make wudu right away. We read tahajjud. We read a, um, a voluntary prayer a nafil prayer, we get so much reward. And when we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for something, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not literally but figuratively, comes down on earth and asks his angels, who of my servants needs something? I will give it to them. This is the, the one time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually does that. And if we're sleeping and snoring, it's probably not the best thing uh, state for, for us to be seen, right? But if we are praying and seeking forgiveness, seeking help from our Lord, crying, even if it's not real, right? I know that um, when I first started being interested in learning my deen, it was very hard for me to get emotional. I don't know why. Maybe my, my heart was so far that I needed to slowly train myself. And my teacher said, fake it until you make it. Like, even though you don't look like you're crying, make believe like you're crying. Make that face. And sooner, soon, surely but surely, you will have this... Um, tenderness in your heart this this um you'll be able to start crying over things that are important so supplicating in the in the middle of the in the last third of the night is is one uh time that du'as are accepted another is friday so there's a time in friday where for one hour we don't know what that is we don't know if it is um when the imam enters the masjid before khutbah or the last moment between asr and maghrib prayer 
because Maghrib, right at Maghrib, that is when the end, the day ends in Islam, right? The day starts after Maghrib and it ends at Maghrib. So one hour during the day on Friday, supplications, prayers are accepted. And if we, we don't know that hour, so making to add throughout the day on Friday is, is something very um, beneficial. You know, our prayers will be accepted, inshallah. The third one is when we are in sujood. So if we are making sajda, if we are in prayer, and even if we are not in prayer, if we wake up for tahajjud and we decide, I want to be really close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we put our forehead and our nose down and uh, into the ground, and we make sujood, we make prostration, we are the closest to our Lord than any other time. And we, our prayer is, is accepted in this position. Now, I always wondered, like, why, right? Why, why is it that position, not anything else? And one of my teachers told me that when we are walking around, when we are standing, when we are sitting, when we are in our normal state, our brain, which our intellect which har- also can harbor our arrogance, our pride, is above our heart. And our heart is something that needs to be connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? But, it, but our brain, is, our arrogance is, is on top of it, and sometimes we can't uh, feel and think with our heart. But when we are in prostration, that is the only time that our heart our, our, the beautiful state that we can connect with our Lord, that we can understand things in a, in, a, in a spiritual way is above our brain and our, our arrogance when we are in prostration. And I thought, subhanAllah, this is amazing. When I, truly amazing. Um, and so maybe in that beautiful state where our, our heart is above, we can have openings. We can be. We can work on connecting ourselves to our Lord truly, right? So when we uh, make supplication, when we make du'a, um, it is also accepted in certain times, right? When it is raining outside, if you make du'a, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Inshallah, will accept your du'a. Why? Why is that? Well, when, when it's raining outside, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is quenching the thirst, feeding every creation on earth from the ant in the ant hole, you know, to the, um, the animals all around the world, to the plants, to the trees, to us, to our to our harvest, to our farms, right? So everyone is is being blessed with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving out mercy to the entire world, inshallah, he will not deny our, our needs, right? When we're making dua and asking him for things. So when it rains, it's a very good time to make dua. So when I heard that, I was like, because a lot of people would say, oh, rain is such a horrible time. And, you know, I hate rain. Now I'm like, no, I love rain. Like I've, I've learned to love rain. 
um, and look forward to it. And I see the blessing in it because I'm a gardener, right? And I water my plants every day. I have a drip water system. I have sprinklers. You name it, I've got it. But I realized that if one day it rains, my plants, my seedlings grow way higher and bigger right after the rain. And I've also realized that now I collect the rain and I keep it for my indoor plants because I realize my indoor plants are more healthier because of it. There is something about it. There's, of course, there's something about it. It is a blessing. It's not just water I'm pulling out, you know, getting from the sink or the hose. It is a blessed water. So, subhanAllah. Um, another time uh, your dua is accepted is when you're visiting a sick per- person. And that is why it's so encouraged to visit the sick. I mean, we realize it, right? Well, if you are visiting the sick, you are doing so much good to the person who is sick. Because when someone is not feeling well, if somebody's in a, in a, in the hospital, if they are lying in bed and not able to move, when others visit them, oh, it's so uplifting, mashallah. It's so um, wonderful to see people come visit you when you are not well. Whether that means you're physically sick, whether that means you are, you need company, you need a friend, you need someone to talk to, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be uh, a really horrible state. It doesn't have to be physically that they're sick. It could be they need someone, they need a helping hand, they need a shoulder to cry, anything. But they, being there for a sick person, right? Another time is the day of Arafah. When everyone is in Mina, you know, uh, Mount Arafah, and they're making du'a. Du'a is accepted on that day. Um, du'a of a, of a traveler, a prayer of a traveler accept, is accepted because even though we live in a world where we are really comfortable, you know, wherever we travel, we have the means, we have the money, we have um, restaurants and hotels and uh, people cook food for us. Like we don't have to carry things and take things with us the way our parents and grandparents and great grandparents had to do. It's not as difficult for us to travel as it is for them. Still, we are out of the boundaries and the comfort of our home. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of his mercy, subhanAllah, says that a traveler's time is difficult on them, it's uncertain. And so he blesses us with uh, the acceptance of, of prayer, of du'a. And the last but not least is a du'a of a parent for its, his, his or her child. You know, that is why as parents, um, we, we make the effort, we do what we can do, but we should always remember that prayer should be a priority always make dua for your kids make it out loud say it to them you know may Allah when when my kids were young um, and and my teacher told me that dua was so important I wrote it down and I put it on my refrigerator and I said instead of saying how could you do that (laughs) you know how could you lie I I said say um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make you a more honest person. <laughs> May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, make you a, um, 
a strong person, an intelligent person, a one that that he is he guides. Like when you get angry, instead of saying something that would make them sad and scared, make dua for them. If you have to do it loud, in an angry way, but make dua for them, right? Make dua for them out loud. And the more you do it out loud, and if you're sitting in your prayer, make it out loud so they it's okay. Let them hear you. Let them see that. You love them. You care about them. You're concerned about them. You've tried talking to them. You've tried persuading them. You've tried telling them this is the right way. You can't make them do anything, especially after the age of 13, right? Now they see that you are turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are begging Allah for help. Um, They will see the importance in their decisions, inshallah. I feel like they really will. So sometimes when I get frustrated with my kids, my adult kids, I'll tell them, listen, I've tried. Now I'm going to go to Allah and just make dua that you will do the right thing. I can't tell you. I can't make you do anything. I can only remind you, especially when it comes to things like um, your children not praying, your children not reading Quran, your your child not being close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I guarantee you it works. It's worked for me. Uh, one of my kids, they were not really interested in, in, they knew how to read Quran, but they were not interested in continuing to memorize and continuing to recite and continuing to strengthen their tajwi or any of that stuff. And instead, they were interested more in things like, you know, Harry Potter books, and um, which I'm totally not okay with, but what can you do? They were interested in other things, right? Things that I felt like were preoccupying their time and it could have been better used, even at least a fraction of it, towards the book of Allah, towards learning your deen. And so I would I would tell this child, you know, I would remind him, and he's a bright kid, so it's not like they don't understand. And yet he would say, you know, he would make excuses, and so I was so fearful. I said, oh, Allah, please, please. I'm really worried about this child. Please, I beg you, you know, guide him. Um, surround him with people that you love, that that you are pleased with. Because I can't. He won't listen to me. He doesn't look up to me anymore. And subhanAllah, maybe not right away. But eventually, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put him in a place where now he's motivated. And he's, he's motivated to memorize the entire Quran. Like, like, if anyone told me four years ago that this would happen, I would not believe it. I would say, there's no way. I know this kid of my, You know how you have like five, four kids, three kids, whatever. You know there's one kid. You know there's one kid that you worry about. Right, the other three or four, you say no, uh, inshallah they'll be fine. But that one kid, you really it breaks. It just it's, he's always she's always on your mind, and you 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 worry about their future. When I finally gave up the idea of thinking that I have the power to make things happen, and I said, no, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, you are in control. But I beg you beg you to please help my child that is when oh, things happened mashallah my child came back and now i'm like wow subhanallah like 
I say wow, but I should say subhanallah. Right? I believe in the power of du'a. I believe in the power of connecting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I believe in um, believing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is powerful and can make anything happen. And so um, there is a way. There is a way. There, uh, there's, a, there's a way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we can make du'a, that I want to teach you guys. And it'll be a simple way because sometimes we'll say, well, I make du'a and yet my, my prayers don't get accepted. Why not? You know, why, why aren't they getting accepted? So there are, three, there are three ways that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can accept our prayers, right? First, first of all, he can accept it right away and he can give you exactly what you want. Or he can um, wait for the right time the best time to give you the prayer the what you have asked for so that's number one the second thing is that he doesn't give you the prayer he accepts your dua but he doesn't give you the prayer he doesn't give you what you want but instead he removes a calamity from you so for example let's say you make dua for your family you make dua that your kids are guided they're protected. Um, or, or like you make dua that you want to go to Umrah. Okay, that's a better. You make dua and you keep, keep making dua and it, you don't go, but you walk outside and you see like this accident. And you're like, subhanAllah, if I would have walked five minutes before, I might have been in that accident. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has saved you from that calamity. Your dua, your struggle to want to be connected to your Lord the reward for that, because that's beautiful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has saved you from a calamity. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't give you your dua right now, right away, or, or, or ever, but he give, saves you from a difficulty, a calamity. Number three, and this is actually what you really want. You don't want number one, you don't want number two, you don't want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give you the reward in this world. You don't want Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala maybe to, to save you from a difficulty, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, gives you the reward in the hereafter. And that is multiplied so many times, so many times that if you knew if the veils were um, lifted from us, we would realize that that is what we want from our dua, right? If, we, if the veils were lifted, we would want it in the next life. And if we, if we could see without the veils, we would, our hearts would melt out of love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of what, of, of what he does for his servants, of how much he loves us, how much he gives for us, how much mercy he has for us. So some people might say, you know, um, why is it that my du'a is not getting accepted, right? I'm doing everything I can. I, I make du'a. I, I connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but it's not happening. And um, sometimes we, we need to realize that there's a specific way of speaking to Allah, at least a more... I would say a more respectful way of, of speaking to our Lord. 
And because we know that when we, when we pray to Allah, when we speak to Allah, we could do it anywhere. We don't have to have wudu. We don't have to um, be sitting in prayer. We, don't, we could be lying down. We could be driving. We can be cooking. We can be cleaning. We could be doing anything. We don't have to say it um, out loud. We don't. We could feel, feel it in our heart, right? We could. But if we want to um, interact with our Lord in the proper way, in the way, you know, when, when you interact with someone, who, someone who's in charge, who's, who has control over everything, who's powerful, then there's a, a way of doing it. And I want you to imagine your du'a as a burger. <laughs> so I call it, um, you know, like it's, it's like, uh, uh, so you have a bun on the outside, Right. Then you have a green layer, which is your veggie, your, your lettuce. Then you have um, your meat, right, your burger. Then you have another green, which is your veggie. Then you have the bun again. And each of these parts of a burger stand for something. So it's like the burger dua, right? Um, the first one, the bun, is when you praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the green, because the Prophet loved the color green, it is praising the Prophet saying salawats, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Right? And then the meat, it's the meat, right? It's, the, it's what you're asking for. Then you say, oh Allah, please help me. I need your help. Right? Then you praise the Prophet ﷺ again. And when you make, when you ask for something, try to remember to ask for the akhira first and then the dunya. Give more importance to the akhira. Ya Allah, please grant Jannah to my family. Ya Allah, please forgive us for our sins so we can go to Jannah without questioning. You know, and then, oh Allah, I need this in this life. Oh Allah, I need this in this life. Um, then you go back to the green again, right? Remember, I said bun, lettuce, meat, lettuce, bun. So the green again, salawat, on the on the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and then the bun again, praising Allah subhanahu wa taala. And what I do to make it easy for myself, so I don't forget, so I say. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. You know, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. That's praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Then I ask for something in the akhirah. Then I ask for something in the dunya. Then I say, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then if I sometimes don't, don't want to forget it, I say Surah Fatiha. Surah Fatiha is praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so much more. It's a beautiful dua. And at the end you say, you praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you say ameen. So it's like a perfect little ending. Some people might say, you know, I make dua, but um, my dua is not getting accepted. So what am I doing wrong? Focusing on, on what we eat, right? Um, how we interact with people. Um, what kind of income is coming into our home is really important. 
when it comes to our is our du'as being accepted. So I know a lot of us, we eat out, but making sure that that food is halal, is tayyib, it's, um, it's not from, from not halal sources, right? And uh, restricting ourselves when it comes to just eating halal, just eating um, things that, are, that we know for sure is being sacrificed in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is really important. And, and I know, like I said, we eat out um, and this is our life. But maybe trying to also um, focusing on, on making sure that the food that is prepared for our children is prepared by a Muslim by someone who loves our kids, by someone who loves us, maybe we, we're, we're preparing the food and we're saying salawats while we're preparing the food. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Every time we're, we're, we're um, stirring the pot, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. And we want good for the person who eats it. This is really, really important because when we eat that morsel of food, it makes us who we are. And if it is pure and tayyib and, and halal, and it is, is, is prepared by someone who wants good for you, who is making du'a for you while they're cooking, who is remembering Allah, who is making dhikr while they're cooking and preparing that food, who is saying salawats, like, all of this is good. All of this will come inside of you and make you into something amazing. Inshallah, someone who who worships his or her Lord in a beautiful way. And this child will grow and grow and develop into an amazing human being. But it's important that it is, it is um, prepared by this way, right? And because the opposite, is, if just anyone is preparing a food and it, there's no limitation to what it is and uh, you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know if it's clean, clean, you don't know if it's halal, then can you imagine what will happen to that person growing with that food, comp- consuming that type of food? So it is important. It's really important to know where the source is coming from. Another really important thing is that... Um, we purchase our food, right? The income that we make in purchasing and using to purchase our, our food should be halal, should be something that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if it has something to do with, if our jobs, if our careers have something to do with alcohol, that is not pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If our job, our income, a part of it, a little bit of it, has something to do with interest, that is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so even if our food is prepared properly at home with dhikr, the money is used that, that's used to purchase that food is not pleasing to Allah. This... It severs our connection, our beautiful connection with our Lord. So inshallah, I want to end here because I think I've been talking a lot, but um, I, I want to, I hope that, that this is helpful, you know, bringing a sunnah, um, explaining it, um, 
so that it connects us more to to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what the Prophet sallallahu has taught us. So Abdul Muttalib had that iman, had that strong faith that he made dua and he believed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would protect his Kaaba. And subhanAllah, he did. He protected it in, in the most easiest and simplest way with the most smallest of creatures, the birds, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows us so many times that he does this. He protects his Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam and Abu Bakr with a spider web, right? In front of the cave, the door of the cave, the mouth of the cave. Um, so inshallah, we'll end here and meet again next Monday. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all with halal income, halal uh, food that you consume with um, beautiful children that are pleasing to your Lord. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect all of our children, guide them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala envelope all of us with his love, his mercy, his compassion, his mercy. Ameen. Thank you for joining me. Maliha Mahmoud on Muslim Health Talk. Please do check us out. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and our website, muslimhealthtalk.com. Assalamu alaikum.